and welcome to Movie the Musical, a podcast about movies that have been turned into musicals. I am your host, Ben Kay. We are here to investigate, interrogate, and celebrate the art of adaptation from screen to stage. We are a podcast that loves questions, and today's question is, when was, what? what is sort of like your go-to crying piece of media like what is something that you know that like you know i need a good cry i'm gonna put on this song put on this show put on this movie and it's just like i know this is gonna get me oh um, my gosh all, uh, the panel's open like what yeah so you'll <laughs> you'll can answer first uh well now it's the film big fish <laughs> mm. interesting interesting uh bran bran what's your do you have an answer do you have an answer? Uh, Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. I mean, that's it's really sad. Whenever the little babies get killed, and it's like they shoot the they shoot Godzilla. Who doesn't love Godzilla? Yeah, that's there's true. A fish, there's, a, there's a bunch of big a big pile of fish in that movie. It's mm. a lot of fish in that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Godzilla's kind of a big fish, even though I guess it's a, a reptile. Yeah, he's Possibly a big, he's a big reptile. I mean, he's a big, he's he, a big marine creature. He's one of the biggest boys in cinema. Um, or she, actually, well, in Roland well, Emmerich's 1999 Godzilla. You're very correct. Well, Allison, who I haven't even introduced yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, our guest, whose name I have not uttered yet. Um mm-hmm. I'm in agreement with you there, because my answer is the topic of today's conversation. We're, of course, talking about 2003's Big Fish, directed by Tim Burton, and its subsequent 2013 musical theater adaptation of the same name, with a book by John August, and music and lyrics by Andrew Lipper. As always, our wonderful producer and editor, Bran Moorhead, is here. Hello, Bran. Hello. We did it. The fish are big. The, we did it. The mm-hmm. fish are big. We're recording this the evening before our cabaret. We are. And I'm excited. My mind is somewhat elsewhere, I'll be honest. <laughs> I was going to make Not the joke. on stories of the past, but. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make the joke, oh, on this timeline, it's tomorrow. But maybe for the listener's timeline, how was it? Was it amazing? I hope it was great. You know. <laughs> Tell us how it was. I, I want to say it went okay. Um, but. Our guest today, you've already heard her voice. Um, she's a wonderful actor and a, a big supporter of the pod. Um, thrilled she's here, the wonderful Al- Allison Kurtz. Hello. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Yeah, we did it. So, Big Fish. Big Fish. This is an episode that, I'll be honest, folks, I've been dreading. Good. For a number- <laughs> well, okay. For a number of reasons. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll get into it in, like, a little bit. Um, I, as I sort of alluded to before, um, I really love this movie. I was, I've been, as I saw, as I brought up in season one's Beetlejuice episode, um, I've been in the, in the Tim Burton pocket, I was in the Tim Burton pocket, rather, as a teenager. That was really, really, really a big part of sort of me growing up and me sort of, like, figuring stuff out. And, like... And I saw Big Fish in theaters, and I've, I, I've really, I really love it. I really, really love it, and I know that there are things wrong with it, and I know we're going to talk about the things that are wrong with it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, it's a film that sort of has really sort of stuck with me, and really is emotionally re- ha- that I really resonate with, um, and 
I watch even I was even watching when I watched it for the podcast. I watched it like two days ago, and uh, I was just like trying to do work as well while watching it. Um, and I was still just by the end, I was just a mess. I was a sobbing, like blubbering mess of a human being. Of and course, so, yeah. what we're and we'll get into sort of the why of that, and sort of like what this movie is, and sort of what it means for for us in the room, and maybe for you, the listener. But this is this is maybe for me the most disappointing musical we're going to talk about. Oh, I'm so glad Ooh. you said that. I yes. That's yeah. all, I mean, not to jump ahead, but that is all over my notes. Yes, I, I yeah. just, it's, because, mm-hmm. well, listen, we've talked. What a squandered potential. Completely. Yes. And yes. that's really. why it hurts. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's even more so than, like, the other one that came to mind for me is Evil Dead, because I am such a huge fan of that genre and that franchise. But that's, like, much more... I don't know. That doesn't lend itself so much to a classic musical formula as this show or this film and the book, to some extent, I guess, yeah. could have. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's a big disappointment. Evil Dead, the musical, still very much has its own at least unique personality, right? Sure. I mean, yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, that is... Uh, Things uh, about as forgotten as the town of Ashton or... Uh, Spectre. Spectre in the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I, I think, you, Bran, you absolutely sort of hit it on the head. It's not only that this movie is very good. It's not only that this musical is very bad and its adaptation very bad it's that a musical version of big fish could be should amazing. be a home fucking it, it, could, it, would, it should honestly make me weep even more yes, than correct. the film absolutely um, and just so that's uh, the, the theme of today's episode is disappointment friends yes. so and not buckle in the up. way that we wish it were <laughs> yes <laughs> buckle up it's gonna be a very uh Non uh, non cathartic piece of uh, audio entertainment uh, over the next hour plus. Yeah. Um. So so Allison, I'll start with you. Um. Because I asked you what episode you'd like to do, what show you'd like to cover, and you said Big Fish. Mm-hmm. And what? Tell us. Tell us your relationship either with the with the show, with the movie or the show. Um. Why Why this one? Sure. So. When I saw that Big Fish was an option, it was weird because I had just been thinking of the film like the day before I got your email, which is also strange in its own way because I'd only seen the film once and that was when it came out when I was around 10. Um, But it's so, it's such an incredibly told and beautiful and emotional story that even though I had only seen it once like 18 years before, I still had very clear memories of the way that it made me feel and certain visuals in the film. And so when I saw that on the list, I thought, you know, I really like being destroyed by the things that I watched. (laughs) So why don't I do that with this excuse? And uh, that is what happened. Yeah, again. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bran, have you you seen this film before? Oh, yeah. I saw this in the movie theater in high school. Uh, I just remember... Being a Burton fan by that point, obviously, and really loving this movie at the time and whatever list I kept of like Oscar winners, sure. like putting it at the top <laughs> of all of my stuff, being like, that was it for this year, baby. And it's still it's it's such a good movie. Um, I think it's Tim Burton's like maybe it's like most sentimental movie. I don't mean I that as so. a dig. No. Like, 
earnest and sentimental, not couched in any kind of darkness or cynicism. Yeah. So, so like, the big thing is that, uh, like, the big sort of to-do of the movie. So, yeah, so it's, as, as we sort of alluded to before, uh, the movie is based on a book by Daniel Wallace uh, named Big Fish, colon, A Novel of Mythic Proportions, which was published in 1998. Uh, screenwriter John August got, like, an early copy of the manuscript pre-publication, and it really resonated with him because it, his father had just died. And if, if, if anything from this movie and this musical, you should know this is a story about fathers and sons. Yes. And boy, does the musical really hammer that oh in. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I would say the movie uses that as a, as, just a, as a way to get to more universal themes of parenthood as well as like legacy and like how you you know and storytelling but i mean mostly like a personal legacy and how you live on through the ones that outlast you whereas the musical really is i mean literally at one point like a boy scout trip with your dad and that's all that the musicals <laughs> like interested in being is like i love having a son yeah but yes. and i'm very you know and very invested in the whole when you said universal brand i think exactly like the universality of not knowing a parent the way mm -hmm. that you want to know them. Yeah. I think everyone's experienced that at some point. And yeah. this, it's, that's so huge in this story. So mm -hmm. like, yeah. So John August was attached to screenwriter. The original director attached to big fish was Steven Spielberg, which, which again, like makes so much sense. It's oh, that yeah. kind of like uh, chintzy. And I say that in a value neutral sense kind of way. Um, the original actor uh, sort of being courted to play Edward Bloom was Jack Nicholson. Um, okay. Which would have been a very different movie. I was um, going to yeah. say, can you even imagine what that big fish would have looked I like? I mean, yeah. I can try. I don't want to, <laughs> but I can try. Um, eventually, just both of them sort of dropped out. Tim Burton uh, got into the conversation. And it was sort of a similar thing. His dad had just died. And, you know, he had just... And, like, we've talked about this, but, I mean, this is a really interesting this is arguably the fulcrum point of tim burton's career you know yeah he did uh, peewee beetlejuice batman edward scissorhands batman returns edward which is arguably his best movie that's my favorite tim burton movie um edward mars attacks sleepy hollow and then right before this was Planet of the Apes, which is maybe his worst movie next to like alice in wonderland yes so um some good stuff in there. So, I, I mean, like, say. before Planet of the Apes, arguably, like, a perfect run. Like, honestly. I mean, some good stuff in Planet of oh. the Apes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Truly. Some cool stuff. It does not... Mark Wahlberg is not one of those cool I mean, things. The, no, he's not. He is lost in... He's lost in the yeah, Planet of the Apes. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes. The makeup in that movie is astounding. Like, the actual, Correct. like, like the, the practical effects are, are remarkable. But, I mean, then, like, he makes Big Fish... It doesn't hit as much as you would think it would. Like people like people liked it, and people were predicting it was gonna be like, oh, this is it. This is Tim Burton's big Oscar movie, and it only got nominated for best original score. Which, to huh. be fair, which to be fair, good score. Maybe yeah. Danny Elfman's best score. Honestly, I mean, up there. yeah. I mean, even like 
I'm like thinking about the music in this movie and is genuinely like making me emotional. Right I know. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. I'm with there's you. That, there's that like the opening music, like like the very very opening music is really emotional. Just I mean, we'll talk about we'll talk about the damn river scene. Like we'll we'll get Jesus. there. Um, <laughs> we'll get to it, but will we but get then, through it? That's my then, question. Like, <laughs> <laughs> will we ford that river? Right, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, we're, we're going down with the fishes, baby. Um, Swimming upstream. But but then, like, after Big Fish, it's like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride, Sweeney Todd, Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows, Frankenweenie, Big Eyes, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, and Dumbo. I mean, there's I think like, we've, uh, we've there's, made a mistake. I think Frankenweenie is arguably the fulcrum. but it's like it's but like there's clearly like a before and after here right we got like tim burton's like big leap into trying to make yeah what like you said a really earnest emotional piece of filmmaking and it's like well i guess i'll just remake charlie in the chocolate factory then you know and it's like now he's sort of stuck in this really like sad place as a director um where like I mean like Big Eyes is arguably the only attempt at making that kind of small scale movie again, and even that had like uh, I mean well that, no that had like a ten million dollar budget, which is very small for a Tim Burton movie. I mean this movie cost um, this movie cost like seventy million dollars, yeah. which is still like uh, I mean that's mid tier these days, but like it's still- also they like the production process was crazy fast they started filming in like january and it came out in december yes it's... and there's like post this movie has a lot of post-production yes. stuff on it you know? and they had a ton of like natural disasters slowing them down and oh i God. it's just unbelievable what they did like it's wow. I mean, you could make a, a, a you could tell a tall tale about the making a big fish if you yep. really wanted to yep. I don't, but one nah. could. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, like we said, Jack Nicholson did not end up playing Edward Bloom, uh, but uh, Edward Bloom is played by uh, the departed Albert Finney, who is also just remarkable. Yeah, he, so good. I, I, I think like most of the cast in this is very good. Yeah. I think there are, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think he's good. Obviously, Ewan McGregor plays young Edward Bloom, and this is hello I mean, there. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> I mean, this is him and his like, yeah, this is him and his like Star Wars pre Star Wars prequels Moulin Rouge era, yeah. which is yeah. like hot. He's on top of the world. Truly delicious Ewan. time mm. for us all. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. it is, and it's it's wild. It's just him playing this like southern <laughs> this southern young southern yeah. man it is also wild that like a large stretch of the movie he's like i'm just 18 years old it's like yeah. okay <laughs> uh, sure, buddy. like i get it we're playing with some magical realism here but okay um but yeah so it's it's just it's about this man edward bloom who tells tall tales and he just like the stories of his life are just these magnanimous ridiculous like pieces of like southern gothic gothic myth and his son will played by billy crudup hate kind of hates him for it because he's just like i don't know i don't know who you are i don't like 
you tell these things about giants and witches and the and a, and a Danny DeVito who turns into a werewolf mm-hmm. and like I don't know who you are like as a human being like he talk he brings up like that this the metaphor of the iceberg where he's like we only see like the ten percent of you at the top I don't know anything about you which yeah. is like it's it is like a heartbreaking thing and then like so it's just, the movie is essentially like. Us hearing like the world, the life of Edward Bloom, as told by Edward Bloom. Yeah, so, and that's sort of like the these flashback sequences, and that's sort of where the real like Tim Burton magical, like fantastical production design elements come out. And then you have present day, which is like yeah, honestly, like uh, like some of the only times, like it's like it's I don't know the only other time that like Tim Burton has ever done like a contemporary film of just like people hanging out in yeah. clothes yeah. in yeah. rooms and shit. I don't know. Um, which is fun. Um, Billy Crudup just wearing what he wore to like brunch that day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no stripes. And, it's, and yeah, it's just Billy Crudup just being like, who is my dad? Like, yeah. and like, and like, he's about to have a kid with Marianne Cotillard in one of her first English language films. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, very early Marianne Cotillard American performance um, what movie was she in that she was nominated for like right before this her big sort of break well I Le'Veon mean, Rose Le'Veon, is that what it was well, called Le'Veon yes. Rose came out a few years after this and she okay. won the Oscar for that that's what she won for yeah did she maybe she had a smaller smaller similar very French film before this that was like on, a, on, on like a yeah. scale of like one to French I mean I, I don't know <laughs> um she was in a movie called a private affair she was in. I mean, I don't know. Marianne Cotillard. We we talked about her on the Patreon. Yeah, go to the Patreon and listen to us talk about Annette. Actually, that one's unlocked. Oh, so yeah. go go oh, no, back in the feed and you that can listen to that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Um. You know, she's a great. She's good in this movie. She's fine. Um. Yeah. But and then Jessica Lange, of course, plays the mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alison Lohman plays the young mom. Yeah. Um. And yeah, so it's just that's that's kind of just like the general plot of the thing and yeah it is this sort of this interrogation of like why we tell stories and like why what we want our lives to be and like why we why we want the the sort of just like the human aspiration to be larger than life you know um and that's sort of just what this movie's trying to dig into yeah yeah and like the point of storytelling as a means of connection and then when it just fantastically does not work like between the father and the son where do you go from there yeah oh my gosh because i mean yeah that obviously that moment of reconciliation is like uh, the climax of the movie um mm-hmm. listen we're not there yet we we're not there yet <laughs> we'll get there i just don't want to get there no um, i truly don't um, we can skip from like the 20 minute mark from before the end of the film straight into the musical and then we'll be fine yeah. we won't feel anything at all exactly <laughs> uh, but yeah so like thinking like just through the stories that sort of happened in this film um yeah so like you've got the witch you know he's got this like early story about like he went to see this witch um who apparently if you look in her eye you'll see how you die um Mm -hmm. one of the kids in that sequence is played by miley cyrus i know my mom (laughs) told me that we watched it together (laughs) and she well she was actually infuriated because she was like miley cyrus is in this film and i was like she is not (laughs) and then we got to the end of the film and i was like see where are you talking about and she was like actually i don't know where she was but and then we looked and she said 
she was that tiny little child. I was like, how is this possible? Unbelievable. Edward, don't. That's her shit. That's her line. Edward, don't. Leaning into her dad's side of the family to pull out that accent. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, The witch is played by uh, Helena Bonham Carter, who Mm -hmm. uh, was with Timmy Burton at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And she also doubles as uh, Jenny, right? That's the character's name? Jenny Hill. Jenny Hill. I mean, yeah, because I feel like a lot of people are also calling this like Tim Burton's Forrest Gump. It's his mm-hmm. sort of like sure. this mm-hmm. sort of like t- the Amer- America and a man yeah. going from a story made of stories. Yes. yes. And of course, yeah. this also has a character named Jenny in it. Um, right. But this mm-hmm. is obviously a uh, very different. And Alabama. And Ooh. Alabama. Um, Weird. It's very, but it's obviously a very different film from Forrest Gump and a, a much better film from Forrest Gump, mm-hmm. I would say. I, you know, <laughs> I don't know if that's a hot take. <laughs> Say the it big might fishes. be at least warm. <laughs> are they okay? Are they ever? Are they ever? People gonna, still really like that movie. I mean, it's made for boomers. I don't know. Whatever. Um, sure is. Are they ever going to make that into a musical? That's a great question. Forrest Gump. It's it, again, like we, we obviously we'll get to dig into this when we get to the musical. But yeah, obviously the episodic nature of Big Fish makes it seem like a great fit for the stage, and so arguably. Forrest Gump would have the same treatment. I feel like you'd have, like the only way to make it work would be to do it as like a decade by decade jukebox musical. Oh yeah. Sure. You gotta have like, it ain't me. It ain't me. You gotta have that song in there. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the, the, all you, I mean, this should never happen. But you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe, a, know. maybe a twisted guest of ours in the future will earnestly pitch it as their uh, answer so. to the question. At what the end of the would episode. you do if that were what I had said at the end of this episode? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. You still have time. That's the thing. There's still time. That is no, how time I a, works. I think I have an even more infuriating answer. I'm going to say. Oh gosh. Well, we'll <laughs> wait for that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, so Edward looks into the eye and he's like. Oh, so that's how I'll go. And we're like, oh, what's going to happen? Um, and then, uh, yes, we see Edward Bloom growing up into the young, uh, rosy-cheeked uh, Ewan McGregor as an 18-year-old. Uh, mm-hmm. He's great at everything. He's great at baseball and football and basketball and landscaping. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, just a... Weird Burton theme. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, a montage. Yeah, he, a he's montage. obsessed. He loves a manicured lawn. It's yes. true. This montage that should absolutely have been a fantastic translation to stage. Mm-hmm. You think? Uh, yeah, he's obsessed with that like '50s Americana uh, sort of like uh, pastiche nonsense. Um, but there's a giant afoot who is ravaging the town of Ashton, and so Edward Bloom goes to see uh, what all the hubbub is about, and he meets this lovely giant uh, named Carl, who's played by. Kind of Blake- looks like Adam Driver. Kinda, yeah. Looks like Adam Driver, the late, yeah. Ma- the late Matthew McGrory, um, who uh, was seven feet tall in real life. Um, he had the Guinness World Record for the biggest feet and longest toe. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Um, he was also in uh another film that we'll eventually talk about on this podcast, uh, Bubble Boy. 
Huh. Oh. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, <laughs> Season eight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's yeah. I don't know. It's been on the list for a while, Bubble Boy. It's I. I was I was I was hoping someone would pick it up because of the Cinco Pole of, of it all. Because mm-hmm. it's the guy who did Schmigadoon, um, who wrote oh, Bubble sure. Boy, both the movie and the stage show. But another time. Uh, <laughs> But either way, he's like, Cole, you're you're a giant. You're, you're literally too big for this town. And I'm in ambition too big for this town. Let's get out of here. Uh, and so they do. Uh, and then they, uh, Edward finds his way to Spectre, this mysterious town. It, it's, I mean, it, it looks, I don't know, it, it looks horrifying, honestly. <laughs> um, it looks like, like, uh a cheesy 50s version of, like, The Village. Like, M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. Um, but it's, you know, it's a, everyone's dressed in white, and they they don't wear... They hang all their shoes up on this Y, or, like, if, if someone comes in from out of town, this, they'll take your shoes... They and They trap them. They trap them. They got Yeah. How are you gonna leave without your shoes? Um, in my notes, when I got to Spectre, I wrote these words... Look at all these white people in this weird little town. Yeah. Well, <laughs> bunch of white people in a little. You know, I actually grew up town. in Spectre. Oh, <laughs> incredible! Really? Yeah. Well, how how mm-hmm. how's it doing these days? Uh, it's not good. The recession really hit them hard. Yeah, I think they uh, discussed that in the film. Um, they tried to bring in. They tried to tried to do a uh, like shoe tax, and everybody's <laughs> were hanging up, so it didn't work. Too bad, man. Did you ever meet Northa Winslow? No. The great poet Northern Winslow. Um, great of uh, Tim Burton to get Steve Buscemi in this thing. I mean. Oh, hell yeah. He's so fun. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I love Spectre. Uh, <laughs> he's a poet. He's the poet laureate of Spectre. Yeah. Also, that weird shot of the guy sitting on the uh, porch is one of the banjo players from yeah. Deliverance. Yes. I love that weird reference because yes. they filmed it like in the uh, ne- very nearby, I think. <laughs> so bizarre. Um, Strange. But yeah, so that. it's like supposed to be this like perfect town uh, where everyone's white. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> um, uh, and, and then, but Edward Bloom's like, no, I can't be, you know, like, he's like, life isn't about things being perfect. Life is about... The, the ups and the downs. So he's out of there. Um, but he, he promises Jenny that he'll be back. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, they say he's early to the town. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. So that's something that they set up. Uh, but he eventually finds his way. He meets back up with Carl. They find their way to a circus where uh, the ringleader, the owner of the circus, is, of course, uh, Amos Calloway, played by Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. Incredible. Uh, have we not talked about Danny DeVito? We. I guess not directly. I guess not. He hasn't come up, has he? Because what else? What else would there be? Do you think? I guess nothing. Yeah. Um, well, there's not a there's not a twins musical. Although, well, once again, yet. free suggestion. There's no Death to Smoochie musical yet. My um, my brain is great. telling me from the train. My brain is telling me Matilda. Well, I mean, Matilda. Obviously, there's the movie Matilda, but right. the musical it's isn't not... based on the movie. It's based on. The oh, book. really? Yes. Okay. So huh. yeah, it's oh, there you go. Um, but yeah, so Danny huh. DeVito uh, is great. He's maybe like I don't. I I always say this about folks i feel like he's like sometimes underrated like as an actor 
Um, yeah. He's like, obviously he's funny and obviously he ki- he's killing it on It's Always Sunny. Um, he's got a great little foot, his little troll foot. Um, he's just <laughs> a delightful true. human being. Uh, but he's honestly just a very good, I mean, and yeah, like we said, he's a director. He's directed many a film and he actually has a really great innate sense of pacing and timing um and obviously and like he honestly obviously he sort of honed this as a as a player on the show taxi he was obviously one of the main cast on taxi and so like i feel like the the best sitcom performers sort of like get a sense of like humor and rhythm and timing from for sure and i think dan devito is one of those folks and he's clearly employed it in his career obviously this was not his first tim burton film uh that would be uh as the penguin in Batman Returns, one of the most right. sickening on-screen uh, performances ever. Just a <laughs> vile piece of performance. And I say that this is all good. So good. This is good. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Um, and then he would appear uh, as uh, a character in Mars Attacks simply titled Rude Gambler. He is no. <laughs> hey, Tom Jones. It's not unusual to be. Yeah, that's that's his character in Mars Attacks. A good movie. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, he's the ringleader. He's also a werewolf. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, he has a sidekick named Mister Soggy Bottom, uh, mm-hmm. played mm-hmm. by uh, Deep Roy, who would go on to play all of the Oompa Loompas in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Um, bizarre. I love his character in this movie. Mr. Soggy Bottom? Like when he's Mr. Soggy Bottom <laughs> yes. when he like cries. Oh yeah, there's the scene, yeah, where like he has to like he's trying to shoot uh either. Oh that's the right. He has yeah. to shoot of course. He pulls out the gun from his little costume that and there's incredible. just the close up of the, the tear coming down <laughs> his cheek. Oh, I love that. And just the resigned look on his face, like I knew this day would come. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have but- this silver bullet just waiting. <laughs> Um, but but we get to this point uh, because uh, during the circus, Edward Bloom sees uh, his young uh, wife to be Sandra, played by Alison Lerman, and time stops. A phrase mm-hmm. that will never come up in the rest of this episode. No. Um, and uh, so like time stops, and he's like, it's this beautiful moment. It's, it's it is gorgeous in the film where like there's it's like incredible. Pop- popcorn is in the air, and like these acrobats yeah. are frozen, and he's just walking. But I mean, there's there's really gorgeous imagery in this yeah. film i mean like i mean like no surprise tim burton is he's a, mm-hmm. he's, a vi- he's got a great vision and uh that he works with the cinematographer here uh philippe russelo um and i think they just create obviously the production design is gorgeous and i think they it's really captures some gorgeous uh gorgeous Gorgeous images. There was it, a it, moment earlier this week when I was watching this film when I was a more naive person. <laughs> I was so excited to see how that would translate. Because well, imagine. I mean, they, come I on. Mean, you could have found a way, um, yeah. but you didn't. And we'll talk about that later. Nope. later. Um, <laughs> I do love the first act we see at the circus, if you remember. It's just a cat. It's a cat yes. that they yes. raise up into the air. <laughs> and it's just, whoop, Incredible. <laughs> I'd see that. Yes. Um, Absolutely. 
but uh but so then he but then uh time speeds up after time stops and so he misses who this woman is and so he's like I'll work oh, Mr. Calloway I'll work with you at the circus until you tell me more about this girl and then because he saves his life uh as a werewolf uh Danny DeVito is like uh, her name is Sandra Templeton she's at Auburn University go, go get her um and well at first he's like he he gets like one word or one, one adjective fact, for like every, a month yeah. every month, a month for like or three something. years yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and then it's just like dreamily like she has brown hair or something like yeah. that she likes dancing <laughs> she likes dancing <laughs> and i mean ewan is great in this movie he's it's very fantastic it's, i mean like yeah it's calling for just like someone like i mean again like it it helps that like these film sequences are just like just com- because they're fabrications because they're tall tales he's able to play it up to sort of be this like cheery smiley like almost cartoonish level of performance but again it works because of the the fantasy that they're trying to just trying to reach with it all yeah and Mm -hmm. he really pulls off a level of sincerity that is that invites you in instead of like making you sit back and feel annoyed about it maybe it just you're with him the whole way it's great even with his inconsistent dialect. Yes. Which is fine. Even it's fine. with. It's fine. <laughs> fine. Um, he, he finds his way to, to Auburn University, and Sandra Templeton is already engaged to someone else from Ashton. Uh, some doofus, Don Price, played by David Denman. Uh, you might know him. Uh, what has he been? He's, he's Roy from the fucking office. Great. You know, Pam, uh, Pam's fiance. Oh. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Roy. People so love the office. Typecast. Okay, got it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, he Yes, he is the Baxter of this and yes. of He's of, the Baxter. Of, he is completely of the, the Baxter. Um, I love I love I know we'll say John August's screenplay for Big Fish, and I'm gonna underline that word. Yes. Screenplay yes. for Big Fish is very good. I it's think it's like excellent. There's some really lovely dialogue, and I think it's honestly structured really well. Yeah. Um John August would I believe has gone on he co-hosts a podcast podcast called screen notes i believe mm-hmm. it's like a very sort of like well-known podcast about like the art of screenwriting um yeah, script notes rather he hosts it uh with craig mazin who people know is the creator of the miniseries chernobyl so they both host it and they talk mm, about like the sure. art of screenwriting and it's like um obviously rules are made to be broken but i mean it is, it's he's clearly someone who uh like no structure and no sort of like the things you set up in act one and how to have them like pay off in act three and stuff like, and I mean like the ending to this movie is like the most, like everything pays off in the end. Everything pays off. Like ever, honestly. It's like, it's like every, like it just, it all builds in this like beautiful, uh, cacophony yeah. of a thing uh, but anyway yeah. uh they get married it's lovely um it's uh yeah he, uh, he then he's sent off to war in maybe the worst sequence in the movie where he is sent off to war in uh do they say yeah. it's vietnam do they actually make it clear like do what? they ever name the country i'm not sure i can't remember um i don't, I don't remember know. either it's it's really vague in the musical they very much don't yes no. and that's it's a plot much point. is made of not naming the country it's, it's the mm-hmm. korean war so it's in north korea okay. um and and there are these siamese twins ping and jing who are like literally conjoined at the at the hip it's like some 
you know, it's some uh, silly Tim Burton visual humor. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's a clunky sequence uh, with silly humor that is all, again, like, you know, you, you get the great payoff, like, later at the funeral where it's like, oh, like, they they were real, but they weren't, like, actually conjoined. It's like, okay, yeah. that's, that's a nice, like, visual reveal. It's a nice sort of thematic tie-in to the rest of this shit. But, like, the sequence itself just, like, doesn't really work. Um, mm-hmm. It's maybe one of the more... Yeah frustrating elements of the movie sure um he becomes this uh traveling salesman he runs back into northern winslow there's this great moment where they're just like in line <laughs> at the bank and yeah he's just like oh yeah what what are you up to oh i'm robbing the place uh <laughs> it's very fun um when he gives him his own deposit slip because he didn't want him to walk away empty-handed. Yeah. <laughs> kills me. <laughs> and he gives him a, a, the handy-matic. Yes, of course. <laughs> would, you buy, would you buy a handy-matic? Is that something Absolutely you can see not. in your home? No? You can, it, it holds things? I think I have it would like make appliances me so extremely nervous. in the finger. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but then we sort of get to this point where uh, Will, uh, the son finds this deed that was co-owned uh, by Edward. And he's like, what What the fuck is this? And it's, yeah, it's this moment where it's like, oh, like, well, all of these lies that Edward has told in his life, that my father told in his life, was it all to hide something, to, like, hide, like, the actual, like, maybe bad person that he actually... Like, it's, it's like, this sad thing where he's like, I, he wants his dad to, like, he wants to find out, like, his dad was a bad person. It's yeah. like, it's like, everyone has loved you for all of my life because of your, like, braggadocious nature. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I just, I want to be proven right that you're an asshole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sucks. I think he, I think he thinks that it's, that's so heartbreaking. I think he thinks that it's more believable that his dad was actually a jerk the whole time than it is believable for him to think he'll ever actually get past those stories and scratch the surface of who his dad actually is. So I think mm. he just wants that resolution and he's like, great, that's what it's going to be. That's the way it's going to go. Yeah. Um, so Will tracks down uh, this home that Edward owns and it is Jenny Hill, the girl from Spectre, who is also played by Helena Bonham Carter. Which I um, love. Which is, yeah, it's a, it's a nice bit of double casting. You can, yeah. like, infer whatever you want into yeah. that casting. Um, however, Edward's telling, whatever. Um, and so, uh, Edward's trying to, like, support the town of Spectre, because it's, like, hit on some hard times, and Jenny's like, I'm not gonna sell you this town, you know, like, I, you, you said you were gonna come back, and you didn't come back. Um, and Edward's like, fine, I'm, I'm still gonna, like, help fix up your house. Like, that, it's, again, it's, like, a beautiful, like, very, like, Tim Burton-y thing where the house is, like, literally, like, sideways. Yeah. Um, it's, again, it's the brilliant production design. Um, again, mm-hmm. like, it's, like, it, it, it is, I mean, the movie is, like, a southern gothic in so many senses. Yeah. yeah. Of the, I mean, that's especially, I think, what Danny Elfman's music really, like, hooks into i think it's like like i said i think it's his best score it's incredible the way he does that emotionally sort of just like hooks into both like the actual sort of like thematic elements of the thing and i think just yeah like as a as a tall tale from the south i think that the 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 score really matches that energy and matches that tone um but then yeah we just get to this point where like edward sort of like 
I guess emotionally cheats on yeah on what do you what do you think Sandra, of that? if you will What's your I, take? I don't know what my take i yeah it's it's i think there is clearly like uh this there's something there's something going on again like if only if only edward bloom knew about uh ethical non-monogamy i feel like that i know yeah. folks <laughs> i feel like that a lot of problems could be solved in situations like this <laughs> yes that is true and i feel like he really um needs to be the center of a, a person's attention in that way. Mm -hmm. And she re is giving that to him in a big way, but not, but not in an easily won over way right from the start. Like it's something he weirdly actually has to work for and then achieves yes. and then has to decide what to do with that, which is so interesting. Um, then now we, the kiss, we have to talk about the fucking ending. We got, we got it. We got it. We got it. Um, are we there? Yeah, I guess that's where we so, are. So yeah. So yeah, this is essentially, so yeah, now Edward is like, on his last legs, he's in the hospital. And we also have, like, me, like, the ending, obviously, like, of course, fucking breaks me, but, like, yeah. maybe the smartest scene in the movie is the scene where, like, they, like they're all essentially like, saying their goodbyes and Will's still, still there. And Robert Guillaume comes in as the doctor, Dr. Bennett. Oh. Uh, and, 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 through, and through this whole movie, we've heard this thing of just, like, oh, like, the story of, like, the story of Will's birth was like this day where like uh, he was out uh, where, where Edward was like out and he was like trying to catch this fish and he would use his wedding ring to catch it. And it's a story that like you see this montage of him telling the story at various like events. And that's sort of like how the film opens. And we just have this moment of the doctor just being like, so the story you, you were born and it was like a really easy birth and your father was like away because he was like selling stuff. Um, Which wasn't but, weird because yeah, dads it, weren't usually here then. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. and that's and that's just what happened. And uh, the son's just like, yeah, I like that version. And the doctor's like, yeah, I like your dad version. I think there's a reason your dad tells his version. And it's just like that's. I mean, that's you, obviously you have this beautiful ending, but like that's honestly that's the movie. It's yeah. like yeah, like life happens, but also like there's an emotion in the story that your dad told, which even if it didn't yeah. happen is true to the spirit of the day. Completely. You know? That's... Which is like how he speaks the whole way. Yeah. That's his language. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's just like, even if like he wasn't actually like, that's where his heart went. That's where Edward's heart was. And that's sort of how it yeah. took shape in the story of a man fishing for a, for a fish that had the a thief's soul in it or some malarkey that he makes up. Um, so then we get to this ending, which is uh, wild. It is uh, Edward's just like, you got to tell me like how I die. And Will's like, I don't <laughs> know. And so Edward's like, you just, you got to tell me how I die. And then we just get the sequence where, yeah, Will's like, all right, great. I'll tell you the story. And it's like, they, they escape the hospital and they they drive to the car and they drive to the river and uh every every person from um i i'm sorry i'm legitimately like having a hard time Stop, getting wait. through man i'm a sympathetic <laughs> crier i told my mom i wouldn't cry on the pod <laughs> it's not the aesthetic no god a freaking loser i know i'm just like it, i can't no i'm not going to i'm just saying that just like so yeah edward just like everyone from his life is at the river and it's just like yeah it's just it's brand it is almost like the ending of eight and a half honestly yeah it's like where you just encounter everybody that was of meaning to your yes like life and they just sort of say goodbye and good luck yes are Wild. you saying we should write nine fish the sequel 
<laughs> we should. We should absolutely write nine fish. Fish point five. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then he's he's just brought to the river, and he's like reunited um, with uh, with with his wife, and and he be- and this, the line that that breaks me every single time is you you became what you always were. You became a a, a big fish, and he does. Yeah. And he swims off, and he says, "That's how I die." And Albert Finney, in a in a performance that should have gotten him, let alone a, nom- least a nomination, yeah, yeah. Like, nomination. like crazy, like it's one that not only yeah he should have at least got nominated, let alone win it. Um, yeah. like he literally just like just him turning and saying, and Will says, "And that's how you die." And Edward looks up and he says, "Exactly," and then he dies. It's like that's, dies. that's I can't. I cannot, and then you have, and then, yeah, then you have, like, the funeral, where, yeah, you see, like, oh, Cole, Cole was real, he wasn't, like, a giant, but, yeah, he was a very tall person, and, uh, yeah, uh, the twins were there, and, like, oh, yeah, they weren't, like, Siamese twins, or they weren't conjoined twins, but, like, they were twins, and, well, yeah, I guess Dane DeVito's there, too. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's just old now. <laughs> he's just very Soggy Bottom's old. there too. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Soggy Bottom was there. Couldn't tell. I'm pretty sure. Um, and then yeah, I mean, and then John August just like wonderfully sums it up. Uh, a man tells his stories so many times that he becomes the stories. They live on after him, and in that way, he becomes immortal. And that's the movie. I mean, that's Big Fish in a in a nutshell. It is incredible. It's it's I don't know. It is just. I mean, it's just unbelievably good. Like, <laughs> it's just very good. It's very emotional. It is uh, just a lo- one of the. I, I'm a sucker for story for movies about storytelling and movies yes. about like why storytelling is important. And this yeah. is up there. It's like the best of the best. And listen, yeah, like there are sequences that don't work. Um, there's like there's like you know there's like some clunky dialogue here and there. Like I'm not gonna lie and say this is like sure. a perfect film. And I understand why people don't like it. Maybe that overt sentimentality doesn't work for you. That's fine. But like, it does for me. That's my fave. Yeah, like for me, I'm just like, yeah, this is just this. This checks all the boxes for me. That ending is just like a uh, a cannonball into the sun. Uh, Or to Auburn. Yeah. Yes. Or to Auburn University. Jesus. Um. And it's remarkable. And it's ridiculous that, yeah, just like the Academy was just like, no, no, we're good. When I um, was watching this this past week, I wanted to watch it first and then look up the context afterward. And when I was looking at the award nominations or lack thereof, I, I I was shocked. I was, how, (laughs) how? It's kind of. What's bizarre. it even against this year? So yeah, so that's yeah, what, what else I'm, happened. So that's that's what we're looking up, uh, friends, in our in our real live uh, dramaturgical segments that I'm pulling up. Excellent. Uh, so okay, okay. So this was a wild year, friends. Uh, okay. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because this was the return of the king year. This was the year oh. that oh. that Peter Jackson's Return of the King okay. uh, became the the bearer of the mantle of most uh, Oscar wins for a movie. Okay, um, so yeah, sure. so, it's uh, good to be the king. It's yeah. it's good to be the king. But like, so like, but even like, I mean, like supporting actor. So yeah, you got all right. Sure, you got uh, Ken Watanabe in The Last Samurai. Uh huh. You got okay. you got uh, Jimon Hanzu in In America. 
Um, Don't know what movie that is. No idea. Uh, Benicio del Toro in Twenty One Grams. Okay. You got Alec Baldwin in The Cooler, a movie that I what? I don't um, know any of these. And then the winner was Tim Robbins in Mystic River. Like uh, you could take Tim Robbins here, yeah. You could take Alec Baldwin out of yeah. there and plug Albert Finney in there. But even like adapted screenplay, it didn't get nominated. That is uh, unbelievable. It's shameful that like uh, Circus is not nominated sure. for Gollum. Like, I mean, truly, uh, yeah, that's that was true. like such a big failure on the part of the Academy to recognize any of those acting performances it's from true. those movies. Uh, but then, yeah, obviously, Howard Shaw won best score beating uh, Danny. This was Danny. Yeah. Oh, I, I think. Don't hold me to that it. That was the I'm... only nomination was Danny Elfman. Yeah, yeah. It was the only nomination. Um, I believe this was Danny Elfman's first Oscar. Uh, no, that's not true. I'm like, this was his first Tim Burton score that he was nominated for. Mm-hmm. Actually, his only Tim Burton only, score yeah. that was nominated. Um, he was previously nominated for Goodwill Hunting and Men in Black, and he's sure. only since been nominated for Milk. Uh, which okay. is also a very good score. Did he win for Milk? Or no, no, he's not won wow. an Oscar. It's which is again his score for Milk's really good. Yeah. Speaking oh, yeah. of Men milk. in Black too, come on. Speaking of Milk, <laughs> yeah. I was. Uh... You got a big glass just ready to go, <laughs> folks. This week we're brought to you by Milk. Incredible. Milk. Was, uh, you can doing... drink it. <laughs> oh my god! I was doing my little uh, my researches and. Um, I saw that Andrew Lippa wrote like a 60 minute oratorio. Oh, that's a great segue, Allison. You are so right. Yes, uh, Andrew Lippa, who is the composer and lyricist of Big Fish, he did write a 60 minute, as, as you described it, oratorio uh, uh, called I Am Harvey Milk. It's actually not bad. If I, yeah. I listen to it, it's actually pretty okay and he, he plays harvey milk in it right he, Sings he it? does he does he sings in the oratory that he plays harvey milk um so yeah big fish we're here let's just talk about andrew lipper because he for me is so yeah so obviously we've talked about we sort of prefaced this we alluded to this at the beginning of the right. episode how disappointing of an, an annotation yeah. this is it's so fascinating because first off the musical is written by John August. It is written I know. by the screenwriter of the movie. I was so surprised to so, find that out. Which I'm just like, guy just can't write a, a stage play, I, I guess. I guess, yeah. I guess there's a reason it's called screen notes or whatever, not stage script notes. notes Jeez. Script notes, yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, and, and like, obviously, and like Susan Stroman directed the original production of this, and like, I don't know if she's the person to do Big Fish, you yeah. know? Like, she is like, again, not a not a dig on her, but like, you know, she's a spectacle director. She really I, is, yes. and she's such a choreographer director too. Like, yes. There's a there's a moment in like the the on the road song out there on the road where there's a moment where she where Edward's like come on Carl let's show them our two step and I'm like no you don't no. you don't have to show us your two step <laughs> it's not necessary no. um so I think that was honestly probably a big part of like having that director at the helm of this probably influenced a lot of those choices again all speculation but. You know, you you see these elements, and you can only you can only speculate. Um, right. But then I really think the the big fish in the room, uh, the elephant in the room, uh, <laughs> is Andrew is Andrew Lipper. Um, mm-hmm. Is is this the composer who 
I gotta say, Andrew Lipper, who has done some really interesting work, you know, he... He he wrote music for this musical called John and Jen, which is an interesting show. He uh he he did he wrote the additional songs for You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, when that mm-hmm. was revived on Broadway. Um, he really did, popular ones, yeah. He, he has he has arguably his version of the Wild Party is mm-hmm. like the more popular version of that show, even though I would argue the the Michael John Lacuse version is better. I would like, agree. Mm-hmm. But there's a thing that has happened with. This project, and especially The Addams Family, a show that we'll never have to talk... We talked about it a little bit when uh, Catherine Miller brought it up as a show to adapt, a film to adapt. But mm-hmm. there's there's something tonally that Andrew Lipper just cannot figure out. Uh, I'm so glad you material. said that. Yeah, I... I really struggled. I, I'm not sure where in my notes that was, but I wrote something like there's something musically that just isn't hitting it for me. It's not translating. Well, I mean, it's, it's also tough. Cause again, we've, as we've said many times, uh, Danny Elfman's score for the movie is one of maybe the best thing he's ever written. One of the it's best fantastic. things he's ever written. And so, you know, you already have that musical sort of reference and then it's like, and again, like we, I sort of, I said, it's it, that score is very dark and gothic and sort of like of that tone and of that of that storytelling. And then Andrew Lipper writes songs that sound like a cowboy circus, and it's like, yes. what are we doing here? I have two words, and they are Alabama and lamb. <laughs> It's right. It's it's so bizarre. It's just like the music is the lyrics like a like standard like contemporary Broadway fair like like yeah. I, they they can come and go but like musically like Andrew like if you listen to so the, if you if you listen to is. this podcast which maybe you are I don't know what you're up to these days but like I just I don't understand the choices that are being made here I don't understand totally how this music is it like it sounds more western than southern a lot it of really music, does yeah honestly. it feels like it feels like he thought genre and then that was the one he landed on without it just ended up in like the wrong part of the country but then you have stuff like the witch song which is like very like pop broadway weird and um, also really is befuddling like to me because she doesn't, you know, she doesn't, and obviously I would never, like, a musical should clearly not be just, like, the movie done again on stage. Like, clearly you want things elevated and things changed for the different medium. Yeah. I was absolutely baffled by the choice on how they handled The Witch entirely. Even though I thought Sierra Renee did a fantastic job yeah, on the yeah, cast yeah. album, and, like, I just are- did not understand at all. And, like, folks on the album, like, sound good. I mean, like, Norbert Leo yeah. Butts, I believe, uh, to record... No, he was in My Fair Lady after this. But, like, this is, like, one of his final musical theater leading roles to yeah. date. Um, He sounds lovely. Everyone sounds... I think Kate, so, too. Kate Baldwin, I, both, I love both a casts, lot. Both casts across both projects were fantastic overall. Yeah. I thought. yeah. And it's also, like, fascinating because, yeah, you'll, like, I, like, you look at a scene... Again, like, John August, like, wrote both of these. And, like... It's interesting to think about, you know, like screenwriters for 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 worse, I would say, don't get a lot of respect in the world of filmmaking. You know, like obviously they write right. a script and then it's really like the director's domain. Um, 
But I don't, this, it's interesting because this kind of makes an argument for like, huh, John August got a lot more uh, creative control on this project and the script is not as good as it is in the film. That's, That's very, very interesting. interesting. That's extremely interesting. So it's like, you know, like a lot of the scenes are a lot wordier. There's a lot of like really corny jokes in the, in the script that just yeah. do not work. Um, just like, and like there's some, and like, Again, like we talked about, there is a good version of a Big Fish musical. I think, like, the, yeah. the interplay of, like, present scenes and past scenes is really fascinating. Yeah. I think Imagine obviously... seeing that magic in real time. Yeah. It's just, it's like, it's so clear how this could be brought to the stage mm -hmm. but and yeah it's like it's right it's tough because this is this is a film of visuals and this is a right. film of like like frames and shots and, and such like that but and obviously the big thing is like they say that like when adapting like a film to the stage like the close-up you try to translate a close-up into like a musical moment right so sure. it's like you want to try and find these visual moments from the film and turn them into musical moments. But it, it's hard to do that when the person who's writing those musical moments is just in a completely different world. Completely. Yeah. Like, I, I, like, I, I don't want to like, go to like speculate like who would be like a better composer for this. Because like literally anyone, honestly. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe like anyone, like Jason Robert Brown, maybe not. I feel like he maybe like would hand in a similar project to this. Yeah. But... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe this, and I know that there is like a twelve. There's a there's an ab not an abridged version, but there's something that they call the twelve chair version, where it's almost like a more like minimalist staging. Oh, really? Thing. Yeah, which just Ooh. like which maybe could be good, but I mean, like you still have the songs. Like yeah. it's... you still have the bad script and songs, yeah. and that's now the only <laughs> thing to look at. Yeah. yeah. So I was that's... thinking, I was thinking about um, your um, Beetlejuice episode. You talked about how. Classic. Yeah, you talked about how the composer basically auditioned with a couple of songs. Yeah. And I was like doing this little exercise when I was listening to the cast album. I was like, if that were how this had been handled, and I have absolutely no idea whether it was or not, I thought, what would the songs have been that would have clinched him this job? And I think maybe um the one about fighting the dragons maybe sure a, a, a very bad song fight the i dragons. agree <laughs> i agree and then the ones that i because i intentionally made a whole section of notes things i liked about the musical like sure. to combat how upset i was to be honest um and I wrote, you know, the voices are really beautiful, especially I love Norbert Leo Butz's emotionality and Kate Baldwin's voice. But uh, the songs, there were a couple of songs that I, I thought I enjoyed. I, two there's, Men in My Life, the tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, Time Stops, some of the music. I, I sure, you know, it got stuck in my head a little genuinely, bit. Genuinely, the only song in this show that I like both musically, lyrically, and thematically, like in the context of the show, is I Don't Need a Roof. I think yeah, that's a very sure. sweet song that like adds something to that moment, fits in with the mood, 
and it's just a nice song at the end of yeah. the day. Like that's the yeah. only one that for me is really like, yeah, you you wrote something that really matched that every everything aligned for this moment. Um, and for me, like that's that is it, y'all. I, yeah. Like yeah, the thing about that, yeah, maybe like the audition songs were like that. Time stops and daffodils. I don't right. know. Who knows? Daffodils um, makes me mad. <laughs> so boring. They're so boring. I mean, just daffodils, you know, comparing. Oh, I'll take you if you do. Oh, oh man. And yeah, so they've and so from from an adaptation perspective, um, they got there's no specter. It's they they bring a dune specter. They just got it out of here. Um, they just shot it out into the musical ether. Um, Jenny Jen- Hill is the prom queen. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. So now Jenny Hill, because mm-hmm. they still gotta have this is this is what happens with adaptations. Like you still have to have Jenny, but you got rid of Spectre. So now Jenny's from Ashton. She's a dumb blonde, basically, is what they essentially call her. And she's pathetic. Like, when he comes back later, she's like, leave me chained. I'll drown because you didn't love me. It's like, you are joking. You are joking. It it is wild that, yeah, like, there's this whole thing where, like, Ashton's about to, like, get flooded. And they literally do the Patrick Star meme of, why don't we just pick up Ashton and push it over the yeah. Like that's literally the plot of Big Fish the musical. <laughs> it's really bizarre. But like I, I this is this is I knew and yeah, the, the werewolf thing is weird. It's like And it not, was poorly done. It yeah. looked terrible. Yeah. It's just it, like he's like a and like I feel like the the thing about that plot line is that like, oh, it's like he like I mean, I guess he's nice to little dog DeVito. He, like, plays fetch with him all night. But yeah. hey, he's just like, hey, you don't have to be sad about being a werewolf. Just be yourself. Oh, that was <laughs> it's like, so, okay. That so was weird. rampant throughout the musical. There were motion, like, um, moments of emotional connectivity in the film that got flattened to shit. Just a hand wave. It was oh, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, they they did, of course, they got rid of the Korean War section, maybe the best thing of adaptation. Uh, I agree. I agree. I liked yeah. that, actually. Oh, yeah. you, you don't, it, the song, the war song, Red, White, and True, is just like the, like the, no, I just didn't like that at all. It's just like, okay, no. cool, great. What did he do? He like, he like, he's like, I murdered this guy so this other guy would live. Doesn't he yeah. say he like sniped yeah. him or something? Yes. He, like, and then he like had a the dog at him or something. Yeah. He was like the only person who was immune to the poison. But the one thing that I actually um, wrote down that I did like about that is I understand when musicals condense characters and storylines. And sure. I especially appreciate it when it works, which is not the situation with Ashton Inspector, but <laughs> I enjoyed the commentary of uh, Kate Baldwin taking over that role from the conjoined twins. And then the commentary was, no, every woman in every story to my dad is my mom. And I thought- Which isn't true because Jenny yeah, is the- I know. Yeah. And it was- it Inconsistent. Was it's such a weird consistent. It's such a strange uh, take on something that is stated in the film, which is what Jenny Hill says. She says, you know, well, I am the witch because, uh, you know, yeah. it's it's either you know other women or your mom. Like, 
Mm. Yeah. Um, it's so funny. There's like a moment like mid Act One where uh, Josephine, uh, Will's Will's wife, uh, they're like going, they're like talking about the stories, and she literally says, "This is middle of Act One." She says, "But does it really matter what was true? Your father is telling these stories for a reason." If you understand the stories, you'll understand the man. And I'm like, that is an end of Act 2 revelation, Josephine. You do not show your cards this early. John August, I thought you were a host of a script podcast. John August, have you ever seen Big Fish? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just really saying it all up front. Um, So, yeah, I... I don't know. I just, it's really upset. And they cut the Dr. Bennett moment as well. The thing yeah. we were just yeah. talking about was the oh, best conversation. I was going to say about Dr. Bennett earlier. Um, my, uh, also, my mom told me I have to mention that. Um, is it Robert Guillaume who plays yeah. someone oh, yeah. from St. Louis? We're from St. Louis, so I have to say that. But yeah. uh, the other thing she said is that uh, he was the voice of Rafiki. He sure was. Yeah. In the in the original cool. Lion King, not yes. in the new one. Yes. Uh, yes, he's yeah, and he and he's of course Benson from the show Benson. Yeah. Yep, Brian, your favorite show, Benson. Mm-hmm. I have you, no recollection you talk of this. about it all the time. <laughs> exactly. Um. So yeah, this show uh was I will say a flop, an absolute flop of a thing. It uh, only it, ran for like 90 some odd performances, yeah, it, right? It played for like two months. Yeah, mm. something like that. Yeah, it's more than some. Yeah, it, It's That's more true. than some, a lot less than others. Um, it got no Tony nominations. Um, sure. Womp womp. But it's had a, you know, it's had a long, it's had a strong-ish, a, a, like a pretty decent regional theater life. You know, they paid so much money to be so very basic. <laughs> it's no, it's just it's interesting. You know, it's like people know Big Fish, like they mm. know of Big Fish. That it's based on a Tim Burton movie. People like Tim Burton, and yeah, there is this twelve-person version, so it's easy. It's there's both a big version where you can have this large ensemble. And there's a 12-person version, so you can have an intimate version of it. So it's like, I, I can see, and like Andrew Lipper, like I, he's, not, he's not the songwriter for this show, but he writes very easy music. He writes ve- like music that is like very poppy and sort of there's a, a pattern it's accessible. to it. Yeah, it's yeah. very accessible, exactly. So I get why this thing has a life. It's just, it is, a, it is a true, it is, again, it's a true disappointment. As someone who really loves Big Fish, that this is the musical we got. Like, yes, yeah, like you, like maybe like when John August dies, someone else can try uh, making another version of this show, but it's like... This is the big. We'll just have to get. We'll, we'll have to get Lacusa to do it. Well, well, not that he, he already uh, wrote a musical called Little Fish, so no, he didn't. He oh did. God! Oh yeah. Yeah, the John Lacusa has a musical called and Little Fish, and that's the the so. sixth chair version. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, Big Fish. Um. It's. I don't know. It's. It stinks. It, it stinks. really hurts. And. I have a question. Um, we love we've questions. Ta- we've talked about we. You guys have talked about um, 
musicals being able to stand on their own without audience members having had to seen the original sure. material. What mm. what do you think about this one in that regard? I think it does. It's just not good. I guess. Yeah, I think you're right. Same answer. Yeah, yeah like it's. I think you can follow it. It doesn't lean on any of the. Certainly doesn't lean on any of the Tim Burton elements. I'd say it yeah. actively tries to d- eliminate yeah. any element of Tim Burton. But no, you don't yeah, have to see the movie. So it's and you shouldn't see the musical. No, it's yeah. so tonally of a different world from the movie that like yeah. it can't really rest on the laurels of of that thing. Yeah. You know what it doesn't have that the music has the or the uh, bleh, what the musical doesn't have that the movie has is a song by Pearl Jam. It's true. That's An true. original song by Pearl Jam over <laughs> yes. the credits. Written in four days. Yeah, incredible. incredible. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I like that song a lot. That's actually, it is actually I don't, a It didn't get nominated nice either, but it it's a good song. It's a good song. Um, The Big Fish, I, I'm kind of glad we've done this episode because it yeah. means that we never it's have done to. Now. It's done. It's done. Get it over with. It's done. Um, But this episode isn't done because Allison, we've reached the episode. The, Allison, we've reached the end of the episode, and so as every episode of Movie the Musical does, uh, we ask our guests a very important question. So, Allison, if you could adapt any movie into a musical that has not been adapted already, what movie would you choose? I have known this answer since like the first or second episode I listened to because I was thinking, what would it be? This is based on one factor and one factor alone and that is i like the movie the movie is jurassic park <laughs> okay 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 all right i'm glad uh, i'm glad we're getting somebody really shooting for the moon instead of something being like i could conceive of this in a storefront well oh, no 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 i can't conceive of it at all that's why so, that's the only part i know <laughs> allison allison i will say it's i will say that there is technically not a musical based on Jurassic Park. I know. There is, there is a musical called Triassic Park, mm. which is a mm. joke. It's not a joke, but yeah, it's a comedic musical, uh, essentially about Jurassic Park from the dinosaur's perspective. Oh, extremely it's, excellent. It's uh, a, there, was a, there was a production done here a few years ago in Chicago. Um, very funny show. Very funny I show. Love that. Um, a very sort of like arguably very progressive show about gender. Uh, it's all about like because like all dinosaurs are like uh, female, and so it's like mm-hmm. what happens when like the dinosaurs like change gender. Um, I love it. It's a really interesting. It's a really funny show. I'm um, gonna have to look that up. That's and the songs are very alley. good. Very I good that. songs in that show. Um, it's a park spelled with a Q. Even um, better. Mm. Now, is there a UE at the end, or is it just? No, no, no. It's Triassic P A R Q. This is. Uh, but you're but you're talking like, Jurat, like Sam Sam Neil Laura Dern, <laughs> like that perspective. Wayne Knight, like that Absolutely. perspective of Jeff Jurassic Goldblum Park. without a shirt for the whole musical yeah absolutely yes i do not know who who i would task with this i do not know who i would cast i do not know anything at all just that i want to see what someone would come up with (laughs) and of of course um the dinosaurs would be puppets Uh, well it's you then and now we know there we go um jurassic park yeah listen like you said brad shoot for the moon 
Mm-hmm. You gotta sometimes. Um, Allison, thank you so much for being here. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug or anywhere you'd like people to find you? They don't have to find you, but... They certainly don't. Or my, um, my Jurassic opinions, but... If they would like to, then they can find me at Allison Kurtz um, everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, .com, all of that. So, yeah, that's where I live. We love our .coms. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you, Allison, for not only being here, but also uh, forever being a champion of the show. It genuinely means the world, even if you came here to talk about a great film and a bad show. Mm -hmm. um, yep. I want to thank you for being here again i want to thank brand moorhead for producing and editing this show i want to thank happy thanksgiving happy everybody. thanksgiving i want to th yeah hey thanksgiving we're giving you thanks we're giving every one I'm of you, you thanks yeah hey we're gonna <laughs> thank each and every one of you for listening we're gonna thank emily harrington for our artwork and modaf and josh stanley for our kickoff theme song if you want to give us thanks you can like the show by rating us and reviewing us and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Movie the Musical. And if you want to support the podcast, give give us more thanks, please. You can get some sweet bonus content at patreon.com slash movie the musical. You can become a monthly member for three dollars a month because we are a triple threat podcast. Uh our next we we're going through the Andrew Lloyd Webber cinematic universe right now and we also have our tick tick boom episode about to drop um i'm curious what future us thinks of that movie uh keep on singing uh i'm gonna give uh, a nice little howl at the moon to honor our danny devito <laughs> werewolf friend <laughs> oh! i'm the trash man <laughs>